people said. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope my story has encouraged somebody. Come to prayers. You never know what will happen. Um, anyway, <laughs> that was just a funny story. When I saw the theme for June, I just started laughing to myself. And I've come into this month with a lot of expectation because I know everything that God did um, the last time. So I'm excited. My message today is designed to revive our spirits and to raise our level of expectation for this month, right? So throughout this year, it has been clear that God is moving in KICC, in the church itself, and also in the people. And in preparation for a move, God always lays some groundwork to prepare our hearts, to be fertile ground. Amen. For example, when we think of salvation, God prepared his people long before Christ ever showed up. You had prophets like Isaiah, Hosea, John the Baptist, who came literally just to talk about the Messiah who was soon to come. Amen. And um, so in starting off, I want us to look at the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 1 to 23. Sometimes this is called the parable of soils. Uh, I won't read the whole of it. I'm sure most of us know the story, and if you don't, go and read it. It's in Matthew 13, verse 1 to 23. What this parable shows us is that different people in the same place can receive the same word, but will have different outcomes. Amen. This parable gives examples of four types of soils that are meant to represent four types of people. So the first was the seed that was received by the wayside. And Jesus explains that this is someone who hears the word, does not understand it, and the enemy comes and snatches it. The next is the seed on stony places. This is someone who receives the word with joy, but he has no root and endures only for a short while. The third is the seed among thorns. This is someone who hears the word, But the cares of this world choke the word and he is unfruitful. And the fourth is the seed on good ground. And this is the person who hears the word, understands it, and also bears fruit. Amen. Now, all of these types of soils here are actually in the same plot of ground, right? Because it's the same sower going out to sow seed. So it's all in the same plot of ground. But with one major difference, only one area was fully yielded to cultivation to being changed and prepared for planting. So in that area was what was called the good soil. Amen. So this shows us that different people will receive the same word. Some will be fruitful and others will not. Some of us may go into the month of June, go to the same prayers, but some will experience visitation of the supernatural, like Pastor mentioned last week, and some may not. And here is where the message of today lies. Amen. The point is that God's desire is for all of us to be good soil. That as we go into this month of June, each one of us will be prepared for the move that God is doing. Amen. So the message of the title of my message today is called Take Me Back. This message was inspired by a song that I heard a few weeks ago uh, by a, um, a band called Maverick City Music right? They've become my favorite in like the past month. And the title of this song is what caught my attention. The song is called Take Me Back. And I just clicked on it out of curiosity to wonder what it's about. And the first verse is what really got me because it says, I remember when I was young, 
and your voice shouting loud my name. And since that moment, I haven't heard it quite that way. Well, now that I'm older, could you say it again? And I remember that verse just hit me like a brick. And I thought, isn't that so true of many of our spiritual lives? That that day when you got saved or you had a moment with God and you felt his voice. Maybe somebody was up on your pulpit telling you about salvation and you heard God literally calling you like, I want you. And it was so loud and so clear. And then life happens, right? Time goes by. We get older. And all of a sudden, that voice isn't so clear anymore. All of a sudden, your spiritual life is... um, you know, going a bit down. And I had this song on repeat for a whole week. And um, it resonated with me because I could identify with the song. Because I feel like I went through a time where life happened and my spiritual life just got a bit down and that voice of God just started to disappear. And from about three years ago, I began yearning for God to restore in me a joy for his salvation. Just like David prayed in Psalm 51, like, Lord, restore in me a joy for your salvation. Because in that place, in that place where you have joy in his salvation, that's where God can move in your life. Amen. And as I was thinking about it, I also thought, how many times have I missed your blessing, God, because I wasn't ready? Or because I wasn't fertile? So how many times were you moving in a place that I was, but I missed it because I wasn't ready? Amen. And God asks his people a curious question in Isaiah 43 verse 19. He says, shall you not know it? Amen. Or in other words, my move is coming, but are you going to see it? Because this scripture was prophesying the deliverance of Israel from Babylon. But there was also reference to greater events, right? The redemption of sinners by Christ. God was doing a new thing for the people of Israel. And he was asking them, are you going to see it coming? And here's what I've come to realize about God. He gives you a promise, but also with the responsibility attached to you. We also have a part to play in the fulfillment of our promises in Christ. And at the beginning of the verse, he puts a verb. He says, see, or in other words, behold. And it means pay attention, prepare yourselves. You know, see, because you don't want to miss the new thing that I'm about to do in this place. I want us to turn our Bibles to Hosea 6, verse 1 to Hosea 6, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. And this is a scripture that we prayed on Tuesday, right? This was a scripture that was part of our prayer points. And I'm going to read the New King James Version. It says, Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain on the earth. Amen. So this is a scripture that we prayed just this week. And I want to draw our attention to two things. Verse three says, 
His going forth is established as the morning. It means whatever God is going to do in June will happen. Amen. There's no question about it. His move is established and it's already taken place. Verse 2. This is what really caught my attention about this passage. It says, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. And I thought to myself, why is God separating these two things? And of course, this scripture is alluding to the resurrection of Christ. But as I was praying this scripture, here's what I heard God saying. That for me to raise them up to a new level, I have to revive them first. Amen. A revival is the bringing back of life, bringing back of consciousness. And God is saying for me to take you to a new level, you have to be awake first. Amen. How is God going to raise you up if you're not even awake in your spiritual life? How are you going to know what is happening? Because the move is already happening. But are you awake? Can you see what God is doing? Amen. Because earlier in Isaiah 6 verse 9, there's a reference to, I'm just going to turn there real quick. In case I misquote the Bible. In Isaiah 6, verse 9. Isaiah 6, verse 9 makes a reference to people. It says, who keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And I just thought to myself as... I was preparing this message that what a sad place to be when God is doing something and you can't even understand. And I remember pastor last week was talking about angels and I just thought how sad it would be an angel to come in this place and some people don't see it. For God to be moving in this direction, other people are moving in this direction. Amen. So I just, as I was preparing for this Sunday, this is the message that uh, God really placed on my heart that today what I would like to do is to present some issues that we need to overcome in order to sharpen our spiritual lives. Amen. And this is coming in after the exhortations of Hebrews that Aunt Rose graciously took us through. Those exhortations give us a picture of a spiritually awake Christian, right? But there are some barriers that stop us from getting there. So today we're going to talk about them, and then we're also going to pray about them, because God wants to remove those limitations so that whatever move is happening, we are all going to be a part of it. Amen. The first issue is a lack of revelation of his salvation and his redemption. Now, this is also called a quote, this is also a call to action, right? To read the Bible more about salvation if you find yourself lacking in understanding of it. And I think it is unfortunate that because of lack of discipleship, there are many Christians who are like the stony ground, right? There's no roots. And so many times we only endure for a short while. And it's such an easy trap to fall into where you get saved, you start coming to church, and maybe even serving without really understanding what salvation means. Because if you really understood it would be difficult to walk away. Amen. And I say this from experience because I only understood salvation years into my salvation. 
So once you have that revelation, that is what sustains you longer in the kingdom. So here are some interesting facts that I wanted to share about salvation, just to remind some and to inform others. First uh, Peter 1, verse 20. You found it, you can say amen. First Peter one, verse twenty, it says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Amen. This verse reminds us or shows us that God has been planning our salvation for a long time. There was a time I thought it was just happening when Jesus came. Like maybe God looked on the earth and just thought, wow, my people are really sinning. What am I going to do? Maybe let me send my son. But it says even before the foundations of the world were set, God already knew that one day I'm going to need to send my son to save these people. And right from Adam and Eve, from creation, he had already put his plan of salvation into motion. So this shows us that he's been thinking about you for a long time. Way before this earth was even created, way before you were born, way before God already knew that one day I'm going to need to send my son to save these people. Let's also, um, the second fact is in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. This, uh, this verse says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Amen. I've read this verse before, but I read it recently with a new understanding. These past four years, I've been studying my, a master's program, and I had the opportunity to study conflict resolution. And in there, I learned about what a mediator is, and it made me change my thinking about this. Because mediation is only used in a conflict when the two parties are at war, and they are unable to resolve their differences. So then you need a third party to step in, someone who's neutral and understands both sides. And I mean, just that made me think, like, are we at war with God? But here's the two things, right? Jesus is the perfect mediator because he has been both man and God. Amen. But another thing this verse reveals is that our nature is so sinful that we are at war with the nature of God because he is so holy. That's why Christ is the only way to the Father. Because he mediated for us by dying on the cross. And whenever we receive Christ, we finally stop being at war with God and are able to commune with him. And I mean, I thought, I've heard that verse, Jesus is the way. But do we really understand it? Or do we just quote it in church? Do we really understand why Jesus is the only way for us to commune with God? Amen. And I just thought if you look at your salvation through different eyes, it gives you a whole new perspective on your Christianity, right? And Romans 3, verse 25 as well. Um, Romans 3, verse 25, it says, 
whom God set forth as a propitiation, in other words, atonement, by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins previously committed. Right? This verse says Christ is our propitiation. It's a big word, and it's found in many verses. But essentially, it means that he atoned for us. Right? Atonement is to make amends. It's like kupebesa. I'm apologizing on behalf of these sinful people, and I offer myself up. Amen. And that's what he did for us on the cross. And the verse also mentions the word forbearance. Forbearance is merciful restraint. It means before we received Christ, it was God's merciful restraint that was keeping us alive. That he had to hold himself back and say, let me just give this person one chance to get to know me. Let me just give them one chance to be righteous. Merciful restraint. And you think about when you get saved and then you keep sinning. I wonder what God is thinking. How much more should I hold back for this person to finally understand? Amen. And the last verse I want to share. In case you thought Jesus didn't really need to die. Because he voluntarily died. Right? He gave up his spirit. He, ch- he chose to stay on the cross. Knowing that we might not accept his sacrifice, he chose to stay. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. God required blood to be shed for you to be forgiven. Amen. In the past, before Christ, he required the blood of animals. But even the Bible says that he wasn't fully satisfied. That's why people had to keep going back. Every year you had to keep going back. Pick a lamb, pick a goat, pick whatever to go and repent for the new sins that you had committed. But after Christ, his blood was enough once and for all. So there was no forgiveness without Christ dying. Amen. That's the law that God had set up. So if these verses are new to you, I urge you to read them again. And begin to build a deeper understanding of your salvation. What it really means. Amen. Once you're able to get to that understanding of salvation, that's where God can begin to actually perform miracles in your life. In Psalm 51, we meet a David that has backslidden and sinned against God. He has stolen another man's wife and has had that man killed. And David prays a prayer in this chapter where he says in verse 2 and 3, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Later on in verse 12, he says, Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me in your generous spirit. Amen. This is going to be one of our prayer points later on. God, restore me to the joy of your salvation. Help me to understand more so that I can actually be excited about being saved. When you don't understand something, it's not exciting. But now that I understand salvation, I'm excited. I can go into a worship session and just thank him for saving me because I know how sinful I was and how without Jesus dying, I'd have never been who I am. Amen. When you're able just to praise God for saving you, you've reached a new level. Amen. Well, you don't need to go and ask for something. You just say, thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you that you stayed on the cross. 
that you chose to die. Amen. Thank you that you were thinking about me even before the foundations were laid. Thank you that even then you knew you had a purpose for me. Thank you that even then you loved me. Amen. Gaining a deeper understanding of Christ's death will create a joy for his salvation. And I urge you to be a thinker. Every time you read a verse, ask yourself why. Research. Ask yourself who was speaking. Who were they speaking to? In what context? Leave each Bible study with a revelation. Amen. And the same level of discipline that you approach an, acad- an academic paper or a work document is the same level of discipline or even more that you should approach the Bible. It's called Bible study, not Bible reading. Amen. Hosea 4 verse 1 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Your inability to be inquisitive about the word of God is why you are struggling. Your inability to read a verse and ask yourself, why does, why does God say this? Who was he talking to? How does it relate to me? How does some random prophet relate to my life today? Amen. When you are able to approach the word of God from that point, God is going to begin to give you revelations. And I think sometimes we think that we have to be so spiritual about it, right? But approach it with diligence, like you're doing research. God challenged me the other day because every time I'm doing a new module for my course, they release our list of assignments. And next to each assignment, they write how many hours you need to have studied to be able to write that assignment. This is just one paper to explain one concept but you tell you that you need to have studied for 40 hours. And I thought to myself, why don't we take that same time when we're reading the Bible? God challenged me and he said, why don't you spend the same amount of time in understanding my word? And when I started to do that, God began to reveal things. When I was now able to take one concept and take a week reading the Bible to understand it, going online, reading commentaries, what are people saying? What does this mean? God was able to give me new revelations about the word of God. When we go deeper in the understanding of the word and his salvation, we won't easily be shaken. Amen. That's why when Jesus was tempted, he wasn't shaken because he knew the word of God. And he knew what it meant in his life. If you ever read the Bible and you walk away with nothing, you've done it wrong. Amen. Because every, the, the word of God is living and active. Like a double-edged sword. How can you read it like a storybook? How can you read it like you're just reading some random story? It's not a random story. Amen. Let me move on because of time. (laughs) The second thing I want to talk about, the second issue we need to overcome, and this one is going to have a few sub-issues under it. The second issue God told me we need to do, deal with is despising God when life challenges us. Now, this is something that we don't normally want to admit, but I'm sure by the time I'm done, you'll be able to know that maybe at some point in your life, you despised God. So I'm going to talk about two instances that we despise God, right? And I'm going to talk about them, and I'm going to present a challenge to you. The first, when God has disappointed us, it leads us to despising him sometimes, right? Has God ever disappointed you? You were expecting this much, and he gave you this much. You're expecting him to go this way, and he gave you, he went that way. And 
You know, sometimes God can hurt our feelings. Amen? It's true. He has hurt my feelings before. <laughs> there was a time in 2011, after five years of being saved, that I began to despise God in my heart. I never even acknowledged it to myself, and I never said it to anyone, but now I can name it. I despised God. And I had spent five years serving him relentlessly. At a time when my friends were being young and carefree, I had been mocked for my faith to the point that it had created rifts with some of my family members. Where they didn't understand what I was talking about. They didn't understand why I wasn't as easygoing as everybody else. And after those five years were done, I was tired, I was burnt out, alone, and I just didn't understand what it profited me to serve God. Isn't that a sad place to be? Where you see no profit in the kingdom of God. You see no profit in salvation. I was so small-minded that I thought salvation was about me. And I remember asking God, what is it that I have gained from serving you? What is it that I have benefited, right? So in 2011, I made a very intentional decision to walk away from the presence of God. I was now going to pursue my own happiness because God didn't make me happy. So what followed was four years of me courting the world actively and intentionally. <laughs> but God, amen. Within those four years, he didn't leave me alone. In 2012, he sent a young woman and I, I believe now she was an angel. When pastor was talking about that angel, I said, I think I have met an angel as well. <laughs> And thanks for saying that because now I won't sound crazy when I say this. But the crazy thing that I think she may have been an angel is that I can't remember what she looks like. And I'm so good with faces. I never forget a face. If I've had a conversation with you, I'll remember you. And I spoke with this young woman face to face, but I can't remember anything about what she looks like. I just remember she was white. That's all I remember. <laughs> and she found me at a youth service at church. She was standing next to me as we were praying. All right, I was still going to church, even though I wasn't, you know, in the presence of God. I was still going to church. So we can be in church, but despise God. Amen. So I was in church, and she was standing next to me. And the pastor said, turn to the person next to you and pray with them. We turned to each other. We held hands, looking at each other. She told me her issues. I told her my issues. We prayed for each other. At the end of the service, as I was walking out in the crowd of people, she waded through the crowd and grabbed my hand. And she said, God has a message for you. I thought, what? <laughs> and she said to me, the first thing she said to me is, you don't belong here. And I thought, okay, because then I was in Australia. I'm like, yeah, I'm a black woman in Australia. Of course, I don't belong here. And <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm a foreigner. And she sort of laughed, this laugh. You know when someone laughs, like you've said something dumb, but they're trying to be polite. So she just laughed. And then after that, she said, God wants to use you. And I thought she was crazy. I said, Ugh, whatever. But in my head, I knew she must be the voice of God. Because she mentioned two other things. She mentioned my relationship with my mother, who is really important to me. Me and her are really close. And she also mentioned my desire to speak in tongues. I hadn't told anybody that. And I'd been praying about it for five years of being saved, and God hadn't come through. That's another thing I was mad about. So 
she mentioned that you want to speak in tongues, right? And I said, yes. And she said, you will soon. I said, all right, sis. Okay. I went on about my life. Two months later, I spoke in tongues. A pastor prayed over me and I spoke in tongues. So in that moment, it was confirmation, right? That everything else she had said was true. That God did want to use me. But here's the sad part. I went another three years and I kept sinning. That's the problem. When the word of God is spoken to a heart that despises him, nothing comes of it. Amen. Nothing comes of it. I had a divine encounter and I didn't care. I was unmoved. God sent an angel. Not even that I was reading a verse. God sent an angel who spent five minutes with me explaining my life and telling me God's purpose for my life. And I didn't care. I mean, how sad. How sad. And I just thought, who else is like this? Do you need three years? Is that how long you need? And I remember one day God told me so clearly, you were angry at me for silly, immature reasons. And all you did was delay what I wanted to do in you and through you. Amen. Despising God is a sign of shallowness and immaturity in Christ. I don't know if I just offended somebody, but despising God is a sign of shallowness and immaturity in Christ. It is a sign that the revelation of salvation has not yet come upon you. And it is a sign that you really believe you really believe that salvation is just about you. Here's my challenge to you. Right? A pastor once said this to me and it changed my life. He said, you are too small for your salvation to be just about you. God didn't save you just for you. And in those five years when I was serving God, people were led to Christ by me. And I didn't care. Because I said, what did I gain? Right? Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. God gave us salvation freely so that we never feel entitled to it. God gave it to us freely so that we never have to boast in it. It is about God. Amen. Your salvation and the purpose that he led you to Christ is to bring glory to him. Amen. And if you continue, or if we continue to despise God, we will go into June and come out of it unmoved. That situation you're praying for will be unmoved. And all you will achieve is delay the move of God in your life. Amen. Here's the second instance that leads us to despising God. When life challenges us in the form of pain, grief, or trauma, and it leaves us questioning God. Amen. And I want to be sensitive about this because I know we all have different kinds of pain that we've experienced in life. But I believe that there are two types that we experience. The first is brought on by the enemy. Amen. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we know that there are some problems that the enemy will bring into our lives from this verse. And we call them spiritual attacks. We can call them, you know, so many things. And sometimes we are not fully aware of what the enemy's tactics are. 
Because we lump these things together and think that the enemy is always trying to kill you. So when something doesn't kill you, you think that God abandoned you. Right? But, and then it can lead us to despising him. Here's my challenge to you. That verse says the enemy also steals. There is some pain that is thrown your way to simply steal your commitment to God. Once you start questioning, is God real? The enemy has succeeded. Once you start questioning, is God really good? The enemy has succeeded. Amen. And you block any power for, of God from transforming that pain into a testimony. And this is why the devil was so agitated by Job. Because he took his family, he took his health, he took his wealth, but he couldn't take the one thing he really wanted, his commitment to God. Amen. That's all the devil ever wants, to leave you questioning God. Is God real? If that guy dumped me, is God real? If those people left me, is God real? Once that happens, he's succeeded. Amen. But we serve a good God who is able to take any pain, any tears, any grief, and transform it into a testimony. Amen. I'm a testimony that God took pain and built a platform for me to be able to reach out to other people. Amen. The second type of pain is from God. Right? Hmm? Are you mature enough to understand that sometimes God can give you pain? In 1 Samuel, we find the story of Hannah, right? And I used to read this story and wonder, why was this story in the Bible? This is just some random woman who was barren, and then God gave her a child. What is so important about this story? Until I read 1 Samuel 1 verse 5, where it said, the Lord had closed her womb. And I was like, the Lord did it? I thought the enemy had done it all this time. I thought Hannah was afflicted by Satan or something. But it said the Lord had closed her womb. And I thought, why? Hannah suffered. She cried. She was taunted. She was depressed for years. And God did it to her. And I couldn't understand. Because verse 10 even says she was in bitterness of soul. Hmm? Depression. That's what it is. And prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And I thought, why would God do this to Hannah? So let's take a step back. This is where now Bible study becomes exciting. Hannah is the mother of Samuel, right? Samuel was considered a prophet and was the last judge of Israel. He was born at a time when Israel was under Philistine dominion. And God was ready to anoint a king. But not just anybody can anoint a king, right? So he needed Samuel to anoint King Saul and later on King David, who is an ancestor of Jesus Christ. So Samuel was crucial to the plan of salvation. Now here's the interesting part. Why then did God have to make Hannah barren? God had to close Hannah's womb long enough for her to get desperate enough to say, Lord, if you would just give me a child, I would give him back to you. God needed her to get to that point because he needed Samuel to be dedicated to him. And he said, what would cause a mother to get desperate enough to say such a prayer? He had to make her desperate enough. Amen. And I don't know if at some point Hannah finally realized 
that she was a part of salvation. I wonder if at some point it finally hit her that God needed me to go through this so that generations of people can know Christ. Amen. And I want to challenge you that any pain that the Lord brings in your life is to fulfill his purpose. And remember when I said salvation is not about you, that purpose might not be in your life. That purpose might be in somebody else's life. That purpose might be in this church's life. That purpose might be for this country. Amen. And God just, this is, this is simply what I wanted to share. God just wanted to challenge us today. That many times in our immaturity, there are so many things that we put in our way blocking us from God moving in our lives. And today he just wants to challenge you. God is moving in the month of June. His going forth is established as the morning. It's happening. But are you going to be a part of it? Do you have enough understanding of salvation to be strong? Or are you going to let bitterness and the fact that God didn't come through to stop you from what God wants to do? Amen. I mean, if God was thinking about salvation before the earth was even laid, don't you think that maybe there's a plan in whatever situation you're going through? Because when God was closing the womb of Hannah, she was in pain. But God was thinking about so much more. God was thinking about all the millions of people that were going to know him through Christ. Amen. So, these were just some of the things I wanted to challenge us today. We're going to go into a time of prayer up at your quarter past nine. Amen. And I challenge you, lean into God this year. Don't let anything stop you. Lean into God. Don't let the enemy stop you. Don't let pain stop you. Don't let anything stop you. Lean into God. Lean into his word. Every single verse that is posted for prayers, read it. Study it. Open your phone and research. What does this verse mean to me? So that when you're praying, you are really praying scripture. Amen. And you really understand what's happening. God wants to do something. And today we're going to stand up and we're going to pray about all these things. Let us stand.